So earlier this week, I was up late at night, <laughs> some people are these days, doom scrolling on Twitter, as some people do these days, and I came across this very interesting article. I was uh, struck by this headline, I clicked on it, and the first image that popped up in this article was this picture. And I am curious to hear, what do you think this is a picture of? Any guesses? A nightclub. A nightclub? People in the chat, you can put your guesses as well. I, I can see them. Thoughts, 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 anybody? A hotel? An MRI machine, says the doctor. <laughs> interesting. A keyhole? Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Other guesses? I don't, how did our living photo get up here? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> A living room, is that what you meant, Co? Catwalk. <laughs> well, friends, this image, a scene from Star Trek, ooh, getting, getting kind of close, actually. <laughs> A gun barrel. Um, this image is from a company called Vivos, whose business is built on creating underground bunkers for the ultra-wealthy to find shelter in the apocalypse. That whatever the aftermath of the global catastrophes, whether they're climate catastrophes or war or another global pandemic, nuclear crisis, whatever it might be, there are companies now and there are billionaires now gathering to plan their lives of survival in underground bunkers that are exclusively for the ultra-rich. And this is a picture that's uh, an advertisement from Vivos of one of their underground bunkers, a model of it. I saw another picture and there's like uh, a design for a potential pool area. Uh, there's some other billionaires gathering to design their colonies on Mars. <laughs> and I read this article, I saw some of these images, I was reading about these uh, billionaires gathering together in rooms to plan how they are going to survive in the midst of these crises. And I was quite disturbed. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, but I was thinking about this, groups of billionaires, literally with the most resources on earth, who could rally together to help try to solve some of our world's problems to address some of these crises, are instead meeting in rooms, making their plans, huddling together, dreaming about their bunkers, thinking that they will be safe, they will be protected, they will survive even if the rest of the world does not. And I couldn't help but wonder what kind of vision of community drives this type of thinking. These are visions of community that are rooted in competition and self-protection rather than sharing and cooperation. Visions of community built on isolation and exclusion and self-protection rather than togetherness and access. Visions of community built on hierarchy and scarcity rather than God's shalom. 
these visions of community that deceive you into thinking that you are safe, when actually you are losing your own humanity. And I had this picture of these billionaires gathered in a room dreaming about these bunkers in my mind <laughs> as I was preparing for today's sermon. Because as we are in the book of Acts, the reality of competing visions of community is not a new phenomenon. In fact, these competing visions of community is uh, a key theme, an undercurrent in the book of Acts. I've been reading in preparation and sort of in, in soaking in the, the text of Acts, I've been reading Willie James Jennings' commentary on Acts. Highly recommend it if you are somebody who's wanting to go deeper into Acts. This is a text that is forming our teaching team as we are in this book. But I was reading Willie Jennings' commentary on Acts, and in his introduction, in just setting up the book of Acts, he talks about this. He talks about these competing visions of community, competing dreams of humanity, these struggles of the, the powers and the principalities of this earth at battle with the, the Spirit of God who's bringing in a new thing, bringing in this disruptive thing, ushering in a new hope, a new vision of life and community in the reign of God. And I found it really helpful uh, to, to kind of read about some of the backdrop of the book of Acts and the context. And so I'm going to share a little bit of what he talks about, and then I'm going to dive into this text for today. But he talks about two uh, visions of community that were prevalent in the time of the book of Acts. One is uh, this vision of community shaped by diaspora. And Barnabas preached about this a little bit last week and talked about um, what it meant for the people of Israel to be a diasporic people. But this is the reality that our Jewish ancestors, the original inhabitants of this Acts narrative, they bore the stories of scattering and fragmentation, exile and loss, and they were searching for a place to call home. And because of that, their vision of community was actually fixed on survival, understandably so, right? They were concerned about securing a future, maintaining their culture, preserving their identity. Um, they, they looked inward a bit, were clinging to a sense of tribe. And like many of us who are children of diaspora know, the urgency of survival was at the forefront of this community shaped by diaspora. And this is one of the visions of community that's in the psyches of the people of Israel as all of these acts are unfolding. And the other vision of community that was active in the background of this early church community was one shaped by empire, particularly the Roman Empire. Jennings states about empire in this way. The goal of the Roman Empire was to shape the world in its own image. Rome understood its task as a reconstruction of land, space, and life under its own rule. And to do that, the Roman Empire used forces of assimilation and domination, violence and hierarchy, exploitation and tyranny to keep people in line and to make people in their own image. And just like the famous image of the Colosseum of Rome presents, this vision of community was actually shaped by pitting people against each other, 
often to their own death. And so friends, as we read the book of Acts, as we even enter into this text for today, I want us to think about this. These visions of community shaped by diaspora, these visions of community shaped by empire, these are the undercurrents of the book of Acts. And in the midst of those realities, the Spirit of God is coming in, breaking in, bringing something new, bringing something unexpected, and disrupting these visions of community. So much of the beauty and wonder of the book of Acts is that the Spirit is instigating. She is disrupting the survival and scarcity mentality of exile, disrupting the violence and hierarchy of empire. And through these disruptions, the Spirit of God is birthing what Willie Jennings calls the common, this goal, this vision of life together in God. And I love this description of the common. There's a quote here from Jennings. He says, The common takes from empire its designs for building a world and from diaspora its plans for surviving it. Instead, the common joins. The common joins. Weaving together purpose and hope in the life of discipleship to Jesus. Neither Roman Empire nor diaspora Israel could tolerate the common because it represented a massive disruption to political, religious, economic, and social designs. And friends, in the first few chapters of Acts, we see all of this drama unfolding. Last week, Barnabas talked about this in the ascension of Jesus. That as Jesus uh, ascended and the, the, the disciples were trying to figure out what's going on, the Spirit of God was challenging their dreams for this instant utopia or a movement led by one leader and instead was sending them as a people on the move, as a community together on the move. And in Pentecost, which we um, sadly aren't covering in this sermon series, but we have talked about in the past, we see how the Spirit of God is weaving together people, bringing these scattered diasporic people back together to one place to hear God in new utterances, to hear God in their native tongues, to hear God as they join in this new family of God, in this surprising, wondrous, confusing event. And here in the end of Acts 2, we see how the Spirit of God is birthing this new vision, how this view, vision of community is now being enfleshed in this early church, how it's taking form in the lives and the practices, the rituals of these people. And this passage describes richly all the ways that the people of God, who were once scattered, just trying to survive, just trying to figure out a place for themselves, how they are being joined together. They're flourishing. They're sharing. They're experiencing this life of the common. They are joined in sharing a common story as they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're joined in shared identity as they commit themselves to one another. They're joined in a shared table. They partake in meals in people's homes, as well as receive the Lord's Supper, experiencing this rich life of nourishment together. They're joined in shared prayers, devoting themselves to liturgy, to intercession, to these prayers that are passed down through generations. They're joined in a shared place, both in the temple and in the homes they are together. They are joined in shared worship, 
living in awe and wonder as they bear witness to God's many signs and wonders. And they give praise for these things. And we see in the end of Acts 2 that rather than being lost and scattered and hopeless, this early church is coming together as a new family, birthed by the Spirit, marked by shared story, shared place, shared ritual, shared identity, and shared life. This is the work of the Spirit. And we also see how this vision of community that is now being in flesh in the early church is challenging the impulses of empire, disrupting the economy of empire. You see, this passage says that they are united. They hold everything in common. They share food. They even sell their land. And they share and distribute those proceeds to meet everyone's needs. They share material resources with one another. And let me say, this would be a huge F you in the face of empire, okay? Because the economy of empire was one in which rich landowners would buy out all these small subsistence farmers. Masses of poor people were being perpetually indebted, perpetually enslaved, perpetually on the underbelly of empire. And this underbelly would be supporting just the, the, the efforts of these elite few. And those elite few would never think about giving or donating or selling their things to meet the needs of the masses, right? Land was a precious commodity. Food was a precious commodity. All of these things in the economy of empire being disrupted by the Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit of God meeting people in need. And it is being manifested in this picture, this fulfillment of this call to jubilee, this promise, this dream that would ring in the people of Israel, Israel's minds, this promise of jubilee was now being made true and manifest and fleshed as they share, as they house people, as they relieve debts, as they meet hunger and financial need. And so, friends, through all of this shared life, we see the ways that the Spirit is at work in birthing a new, disruptive community, bringing about a vision that moves a people from being scattered to being together, from competing for resources to sharing them, from being placeless and peopleless to having a new home and a new family, from merely surviving to thriving and declaring the wonders of God in their midst. This is the picture of new community that the Spirit is birthing. And friends, I wonder when you hear this, <laughs> when you picture this Acts 2 community, what emotions come to mind for you? When you hear this vision of community, what stirs in your spirit? Is it hope? Skepticism, curiosity, tension, doubt. This past week as I was getting ready to preach the sermon, I had to contend with this text and how I felt about this passage and contend with the ways that this passage has been preached for me in the past. <laughs> I have to just say I was part of an organization that uh, for a 10-year period of time, their mission statement was, and the Lord added daily to the number of those being saved, right? 
And so many times we hear this passage as sort of, uh, and either we try to just copy it, thinking that if we copy it, then the Lord will add to our numbers and help us grow. Um, or it's easy to just be like, oh, that was back then. That was this moment that feels inaccessible. That was just uh, this temporary blip of the Holy Spirit's work, and it will never happen again. And we feel tension about this vision of community. And we feel tension because we know that the church does not often look like this. Amen? <laughs> Many of us know and have felt the, the hurt and the sting of abuse and violence hierarchy, the, the ways of empire being made manifest in the church. This is alluded to earlier, things done in the name of Jesus, in the name of the church, that are not very Christ-like. And we all know this. Many of us are here in this church community. I've heard your stories. I've heard your pain. And I know that this is true, that this vision of the Acts 2 community feels so far off when our experience of the church has been so different. And while I know this snapshot of community captures a particular season in the life of the church, reading about it again this week led me to a place of longing. I was walking around my neighborhood, thinking about this sermon, preparing for this time, and I got pretty emotional thinking about this. Because as much as the church has failed and disappointed, I realize that I'm not ready to discard the belief that living out the Jesus way actually matters for our world. I'm not ready to give up on hope just yet. I'm not ready to give up on a vision of community that practices radical redistribution and generosity, a vision of community where everyone's needs are met and sharing leads to joy and wonder. I'm not ready to give up on a vision of deep, transformative kinship that resides not just in the temple but also in people's homes. I'm not ready to give up on a vision of community that transcends boundaries of race and class and gender and language and sexual orientation. I'm not ready to give up on this vision that fosters belonging and belovedness. I'm not ready to give up on the power of liturgy, the power of prayer, the power of this narrative to shape and form people, or on the deep joy that comes from gathering around a table and sharing in table fellowship. I'm not ready to give up on sacraments and rituals. And as much as I want to throw in the towel sometimes, even as a pastor, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to give up on this vision of community just yet. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you feel about the church. I don't know how you feel about this vision of community or what the Spirit did back then in this time and how you feel like it can manifest today. But as I close and uh, as we kind of conclude this time, I wanted to share a few stories, some snapshots of communities that haven't given up on this hope either, that haven't given up on this hope that the people of the Jesus way can actually bear the goodness of God in this world together. These are just snapshots, and you can look more into these communities. I'll try to write them up um, and share them later on this week. But I want to share about the Arlington Community Church in Kensington, who last Lent decided to put their repentance into action. And they created a Black Wealth Builders Fund in recognition of the history of systemic racism and white supremacy in our country. In the season of Lent, they committed to gathering their resources to launch this fund that would provide interest-free loans to first-time black home buyers as a form of reparations on a small scale. 
and they raised over a quarter million dollars to give money away so that black folks in their community can become home homeowners for the first time. I want to share about the work of Jubilee Partners in Georgia, this intentional faith community in rural Georgia that tends to 250 acres of land that they farm and then they use to feed their community, and that they also use to provide home uh, and space for refugees who are in need of a place of recovery and healing from war and crisis and violence. They served around 4,000 people from 35 countries since they began in the 80s. I want to share about the work of RP Medical Debt, which has partnered with many churches in the last several years, including churches within our very own presbytery. They've worked across many denominations to eradicate over $7 billion of medical debt for over 3.6 million people, buying up medical debt so that people who have medical debt can be set free. I want to share about the work of uh, First Congregational Church of Oakland. Um, Grass preacher Nicola Torbett has, um, is part of this community. And they have taken seriously their commitment to the first inhabitants of the land. They provided free office space for the Ohlone-led Segorite Land Trust. And they've led movements to pay Shumi every year during November, during Indigenous Peoples Month. I want to share about the work of our, our sister church, First Press Hayward, which has taken seriously its role in stewarding resources, stewarding their land, their building to serve unsheltered neighbors. And what began with just six parking spots overnight, expanded to a year-long homeless shelter, to a tiny home transitional village, and now a project to redevelop their entire campus to build um, dozens of units of affordable housing as they redevelop their entire campus. And I want to share about our church, our little church, a little church that could, kept, kept going, <laughs> somehow is surviving through all that it's been through. Our church that has tr tried to provide food to our neighbors, provide mutual aid to one another in moments of need, that is trying to also reimagine our church property as, as a communal good, as a source of blessing, a potential source of housing, a resilience hub in our community. Our church that has so much potential and possibility. And I wonder for us, as we hear these brief snapshots of hope in these churches that are trying to bear the goodness of God in this world, what stories are to come for us? What new movements might the Spirit be trying to birth in us, among us? How might the Spirit want to transform our vision of community, away from the self, away from survival, away from forms of competition and domination and hierarchy to lead us to seek the beauty, the messiness, and ultimately the hope of life together, the common. Friends, the same spirit that birthed this early church movement is the same spirit at work in and among us. Amen? Let us not miss out on the disruptive work of the Spirit that might be stirring even now in our lives. People of God, let us continue to follow the instigation of the Spirit in ways that lead us to demonstrate God's goodness to all people, that we might be overcome by awe and wonder.
let's not give up on the church just yet. Amen? Amen.